0: I'd like you to join me in the scripture this morning in John chapter 15. That's where we'll spend uh, most of our time this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, we had a great time in North Carolina this past week. Uh, We spent some time in Athens, Georgia for a little bit. I spoke at Pastor John Hembry's church, formerly uh, Pastor Freddie Coyle's church there, Northside Church. We were able to get in on Saturday of last week and participate in their fall festival. It was so encouraging Uh, to see that the gospel was given two times at that event. And as John masterfully went through the plan of salvation, many people raised their hand to indicate that they understood enough that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ. You know, that's not happening at every church around the world, uh, especially in this country where uh, churches are not focused on the gospel. But it was really encouraging to see an event where I would say at least 40 or 50 people trusted Christ. There were a lot of people that raised their hands. It's too hard to count, Uh, but he did it in a wonderful way. He had said they were giving away uh, gift cards, and before he would announce the winners, he just needed a moment of their time. Masterful. Love it, because you know, as a pastor, you're like, I know where this is going, and he gave the gospel so clearly, and people understood. Uh, We stayed for the Sunday morning, uh, and I spoke on the message that I had done here a couple of weeks ago, uh, no lie is of the truth. I think it was very encouraging to the people. And uh, then we stayed for one day. I, I like to play disc golf. So we played three different courses in one day, over 20,000 steps on my watch is what, what it told me. Uh, the last round that we played was the first course that we had played that day, and it, we played it at night. Okay, I'm a Florida boy. Okay, nighttime is, you know, dim, You still have, like, street lights and stuff. Georgia nighttime, complete darkness. And there are these, you know, a a change in this thing called elevation, uh, where there's, like, hills. And if there's a hill, there's a, what, valley. There's also these things there called fall leaves, which are not uh, sturdy. So there was a lot of slipping and sliding sometimes. (laughs) But uh, on Tuesday, we drove up to uh, Burnsville, North Carolina, where we stayed for the rest of our trip. Had a really good time there. We drove on the Blue Ridge Parkway, got to look at all of the leaves changing. Um, the winding roads took a little bit to get used to uh, for, for me and especially for my dear wife, Kyla, who had to endure it as the passenger. But nothing a little Dramamine wouldn't take care of. <laughs> but uh, we went to a, a, little, uh, a little tourist spot called Little Switzerland, which was really cool. Got a chance to share the gospel with a couple of people there, and every time that I would say where I was from, I, w- I would open up the conversation like this. I would say, you know, you know when people look at you and they, they, they kind of hold on for a minute, you, that's a good opportunity to say, hey, how you doing? So I do that all the time, just like, how you doing? And usually people very kindly, they say, I'm doing well, how are you? I say, good, and I'll ask, are you visiting or are you local? And many people said they're local or they're visiting, whatever it may be. And uh, I said, oh, where from? And they'll tell me where they're from. And every time I would say Tampa, Florida, I, I kid you not, I got this response at least three or four times. Oh, the great free state of Florida. And I said, yeah, <laughs> the free state of Florida, baby. Um, so <laughs> it was a good opportunity to give them the gospel, and I'd give them a gospel track. But we were traveling with uh, some friends of ours, and they have, uh, they have two kids. Uh, one is five, and one is a um, little over one-year-old. And the five-year-old, she was giving out tracts. And she would just walk up to strangers and say, excuse me, I want to tell you how you can go to heaven. And she would give them a little kids track, because that's all she had, a little am I going to heaven track. Well, when we were on Mount Mitchell one day, she was out of tracts. So now she's just walking up to people saying, excuse me, I'd like to tell you how you can go to heaven. Who's going to say no to a five-year-old? What kind of person's going to say, I'm not interested"? Well, no one did, you know. No one, no one did uh, deny her, but she went through. All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and they understood it. And then I would come behind them and give them, you know, a track for adults and pass it out. But it was so encouraging just to see. You know, she's five years old, and she already is excited about sharing the gospel. No nerves because she's confident in what she knows. That was encouraging. We did get up to the top of Mount Mitchell, which is the highest peak east of the Mississippi. And uh, we, were, we were down there in the parking lot. And Kyla was like, well, we're not going to bring the stroller, so someone has to wear Remy. And I said, I'll do it. So 20 extra pounds on the front of you, climbing to the highest peak east of the Mississippi. Uh, the family pictures, there's a lot of me like this. You know, because uh, I was wore out. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Remy, she's just, everybody she sees, wave, clap. I'm like, girl, if you only knew. If you only knew the work that is going into making this happen. But uh, I I say if there's three words that I could describe this vacation, it is uh, refreshed, refocused, and reminded. Uh, I think many times in ministry, people uh, often warn you about burnout, and I have come to the conclusion because of the scripture and what we're going to focus on this morning the only way that you burn out is if you stop fueling up, if you stop getting the gas that you need to keep going. If ministry becomes you centric, it becomes result oriented, uh, then that's not going to last. And it's great to get away and to be reminded, refreshed, and refocused. But I think the best thing that can come from times like that is you remember why you're doing what you're doing. It was nothing greater than to just simply be present in the moment. This was one of those first vacations where we're not looking forward to sleeping in. You don't do that. Remy is up. She's ready to go at 7 or 7.30. Um, You can't just simply go wherever you want to go, although my wife, she said, you should go play that golf course, and I did go play that golf course, and it was great. Uh, we're not going to talk about what I shot, just the fact that I was actually there. That was really nice. But things change when you have a kid. You know, things are different. Uh, you know, schedules, go, you know, they come and go. We're constantly looking at the little car monitor to see, is she asleep? Is she awake? If she's not asleep, why not? <laughs> but, uh, you know, things change. But you, you get to slow down and you enjoy And you remember the reason why you get to enjoy things like this is because Jesus died and rose again for my sin. I know that sounds so basic. It sounds so, you know, first-level Christianity. But, folks, this is what gets us through everything in life. You know, say some tragedy befell us on our vacation. Whatever it may be, whatever it could have been, is the Lord still good? I think sometimes we look at God and we say God is good when we get a blessing. Oh, I got this car. God is good. Oh, I got this... Uh, You know, my kid got into college or whatever it may be. I got this bonus at work or, you know, I didn't get any stoplights on the way to work today and I was running late. Therefore, God is good. Well, if all of those things were the opposite, is God now not good? He's good all the time. We have got to remember these things and we see God's love demonstrated to us in the shed blood of his Savior in that empty tomb. Amen? Amen. We've got to remember these things. The moment that we, as believers, begin slipping away from that truth is the moment we begin slipping into that darkness. Slipping into the difficulty of maintaining an intimate walk with the Lord. Because we take our eyes off of him and we put it on ourselves and our circumstances. So it was a really good time, yes. But the reason why it was good was not because of the beautiful leaves not because of the time that I got to spend with my family. Although those things were great, it was good because I knew, regardless of what happened, I'm going to be with my Savior one day. And as I shared the gospel, and as I gave out tracts, and as we prayed for food and meals and different things, I'm reminded of that sacrifice for me. And that's where I want to start this morning. You know, John chapter 15 is right in the middle of the uh, upper room discourse, and it's, it's one of those... One of those passages where we as people who like to be sharp with doctrine, who like to discern between the truth and an error, we can become like the church at Ephesus. We can do things so very well, we can identify all types of false doctrine and teach the true doctrine, we can call out the liars, we can be forward and direct with the truth, but we forget our first love. Jesus is he's, he's speaking to his disciples who he has already said they are clean and sanctified because of John 13 where he washed their feet. And we'll get to that illustration a little bit later. But the focus of John 15 is not for you and I to go and say this is what it really means, this is what it doesn't mean. The focus is very clear. It is a Greek word. The Greek word is meno and it is to abide. That's the focus here. The focus is not identifying the fruit. The focus is not what happens to the branches who are not bearing fruit. The focus is several times Jesus says, abide in me. I think many times as doctrinally sharp people, we can go to try and prove what the passage doesn't say, but we actually don't focus on what it does say. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What does this passage actually say? What are we supposed to take away from this? Because folks, if you're today and you've already you're here today and you've already put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have a home in heaven, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The moment that you believed, you have a new nature that was born of God and cannot sin. You still have an old sinful nature, and there's a battle that goes on all the time. You now have access to God through Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit that seals you into the day of redemption, leads you and guides you into all truth. But that's not the end of your Christian life. You now have an imperative command to abide in Jesus. I think this is why people experience burnout. This is why people only make a decision to come to one or two of the services that they can come to. Because they're not remaining in Jesus. I'm not talking about their salvation. I'm talking about, do you know him? Do you love him as he has commanded you to love him? I think sometimes we can become very works-oriented. We can look at how much you pray. We can look at how many souls you win to Christ. We can look at how faithful you may be. And we can erroneously draw the conclusion that, oh, this person must be a great Christian. But inside, that person does not love the Lord. They love their own fruit. Soul winning is great. Prayer is wonderful. This passage mentions both of them. But the focus of this passage is not the fruit. It is the command to abide. It is the command to remain close to the Savior. If you remain close to the Savior, you will love the lost. Why? Because God loves the lost. If you stay close to the Savior, if you remain in Jesus, you will be a man or woman of prayer. Why? Because that's how God is glorified. Sometimes, and I see this, and I'm I'm being very personal and very direct here because as I've had time to reflect this week, I've come to a conclusion that there is a. we are focusing on things. We are focusing on the production of things and not the source of things. May I be very clear here? I have seen people who start on fire for God, but then they flame out. Why does that happen? If they're in the vine, we already know they're saved. That's not the question, but... If they're really abiding with Christ, why do they then flame out? Because their source is not in Jesus, it's in their own performance. This is how legalism comes about. Legalism comes about and says things like this. Well, if you're really holy, then you'll do holy things. And therefore, the pastor raises himself up as the example, and all the people try to be like the pastor, and the pastor sets the rules. And then people think, if I follow the rules... Does it matter if I love God or not? Does it matter if I love Jesus or abide in Him? I just need to follow these rules and that will make me holy. That's legalism. Can a person say and do all the things that God says a person should do and still not be saved? Yes. So the distinguishing thing is not the person's works, it's are they in the vine or not? Are they remaining? Are they growing? It used to just blow my mind when I would see people just fall away, and you wonder, what happened? How did this happen? John 15 helps us understand why these things are the way that they are. And I want to also be frank and be direct and be transparent with you. I want you to take these things to heart. Not because I, as your pastor, want that for you, but because that's what God's plan is for your life, to abide in the Savior. We're going to go verse by verse today and we're going to look at a lot of different things. I don't want you to get caught up in taking notes. You may take notes. I don't want you to get caught up in the cross references of Scripture. I want you to know the cross references of Scripture. I want you to ask yourself Am I abiding in my Savior? Forget your pastor, forget your family. Forget your financial responsibilities, forget your work obligations, and ask yourself, am I abiding in the Savior? This is not a question of am I going to heaven or not. This is a question of do I love him as he loved me? That's how you get true men and women of God. They bear much fruit, and the fruit can be many different things. You ever gone up to somebody who's abiding with the Lord and you ask them to pray for you and those prayers are answered? It's a result of abiding in the Savior. And many times people say, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, but they never define what that is. Well, Jesus, because he's the master teacher, when he says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, he explains what it means. And I think many of us would be surprised. Abiding in me is not winning souls, although that is a byproduct John chapter 15 and verse 10 tells us that if we keep his commandments and we love, as the Father has loved the Son, the Son has loved us, so we should love one another. Why do you think at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul is done speaking on all of these things, all these gifts and the hierarchy of gifts in the church, he says in, in, in the first three verses in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he says, you can have faith that can remove mountains, you can have the oratory skills to whip a crowd into a frenzy. But if you don't have love, you profit nothing. There must be something to love. There must be something to that command. First John has changed my life. That, that, that book, see, I, you know, people will say, yeah, uh, our pastor went through that book. No, that book went through me. That book changed my life. It helped me to recognize that all of these things that I can do, all of these things that are a product of the Christian life, they start and are sustained and are finished by the love for the Savior. We get callous churches. We get hollow, empty believers that that have the eye of judgment for everybody when they try to produce their own fruit. When they try to do everything of their own volition and skill. It is so important to recognize here the illustration in John 15. And that's where we'll start. Look in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. My first point here, and I know it sounds like a lot. There are six points, but trust me, they're small points. I remember I was listening to John and he said point number four. And I said, Oh, boy, I missed the first three. <laughs> but I've got six things that I want to cover with you this morning. The first thing is Jesus, the true vine. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Now, this is, this is older language, and what this means is husbandman is God is the one who cultivates. Jesus is the one who gives the life. The fruit is on the vine. The vine's fruit is cultivated by the father or husbandman. So you can see here the hierarchy, the positions and roles within the Trinity. God is the one who gets that fruit. Jesus is the one who produces that fruit. And we know from other places in Scripture that Jesus has other I am statements, but very significant outside of Mark chapter 14 in verses 61 and 62, which is the last time Jesus says, I am, when, in which he is asked by the religious leaders if he is the Christ, he says, I am. And not only that, you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with glory. They understood what he said. This is one of the last times that he uses that statement, I am. He's going to be offered up after this. He's going to his disciples not to talk about whether they're saved or not, but to tell them, If you want to be my disciple, if you want to walk with me as I have walked here, you must do this one thing. And he starts the illustration by saying, I'm life. Hold your spot here and go to John 14, 6. He says in John 14, chapter 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Look in chapter 10 and verse 30. Page 1130, but we're in John 10, verse 30. He tells them about no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And he makes this statement in verse 30. I and my Father are one. Look in verse 9 of the same chapter. John chapter 10 and verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. John chapter 6 and verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me, shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And all God's people said, Amen. Yes, I have some water under here. Yes, I'm going to fill my belly with some chili. But I am not here today hungry for salvation. I am not here today hungry from deliverance of my sin. I know who my Savior is, and he has paid for all of my sin. Past, present, and praise God, the future sin too. He paid it all. Look in chapter 4 in verse 26. He's speaking to the Samaritan woman here. She's missing some things. She says when the Messiah has come, he's going to be called Christ. He'll tell us all things. I worship in this mountain, blah, blah, blah. Jesus says to her very, very plainly in verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that, uh, that speak unto thee am who? He you know, it's so interesting. I see these little videos. I'm not, going to spend this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point. But I've seen these little videos of uh, Islamic apologetic channels. Yes, they do exist where they seek to destroy any kind of validity that Jesus is to Christ. In Islam, that is a major sticking point. They say, yes, Jesus, good man, he's a prophet, he's from Allah, but he's not God's son because God has no son. And they'll say he never claimed to be the Messiah you need to mark John four twenty six. You need to mark the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 61 through 62. They would not, the Jews would not have put him on the cross if he denied to be the Messiah. But he says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. He says he's the Christ, the bread of life, the door. He and the Father are one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And back in John 15:1, look what he says now. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. And that goes to my second point, the role of the father. My father is the husbandman. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Hold your spot in John 15. And look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at two verses there. We're kind of popcorning this out, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 7. As you're turning there, a little background, there was some contention in the church. There was some spiritual babiness going on. There was a bunch of wah-wah, no he said, no she said. They were beginning to fraction themselves to I am of Apollos, I am from Peter, I am from this and that. And Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys. I'm glad, except for Crispus and Gaius, which by the way, those are some names. That's always stuck with me. Sometimes, I, you know, if we ever adopt again, I want to see Kyle's reaction when I say, yeah, let's go with Crispus. <laughs> what? No. All right, I got another one, Gaius. <laughs> but look what he says here in verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but who? God giveth the increase. And we know the increase comes from being in the vine, as we'll see in John 15. But the husbandman collects the fruit that you and I produce. We can only produce that fruit as we are connected to the vine. Now, listen to me closely. People will say, that's the sticking point. If you're not connected, then you're not born again. Folks, you can be a believer and have hollow, empty, withered branches. This is the exact thing we're going to get into today. And that is not the focus. But it's a byproduct of not abiding in him. So we should be able to define that term. Look in verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, which means we are the thing that he cultivates. Ye are God's building. I did not write this down, but it's come to my mind. We are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that statement and think about how we use this body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where that statement is made, the overall discussion is, don't go into fornication. What does God's temple have with uncleanness? He's arguing from a, a point of fact, meaning that's not how we should behave, because this is the temple of God. This is also why we believe, the Bible teaches very clearly, that a vessel, a body, that has been possessed by the Holy Spirit, which only comes about by faith in Jesus Christ cannot be also possessed by a demon but that's not the focus the focus is this is who you are I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago how people say well I am a contractor or I am a delivery driver or I am a Trent for an example he's a youth director we have sound technicians all these different things those are things that we do But who are you? I'm not trying to blow your mind in simplicity. I'm trying to get you to zoom out far enough and recognize you are a child of the King. That's who you are. And that's only for those who have believed on Jesus Christ for eternal life. But we can get caught up in our worldly definitions. Yes, I am a father. I am a pastor. I am a husband. But I'm also primarily a child of God, so I should act accordingly. Jesus is speaking to disciples who they're kind of figuring out what's going on. Remember, they're not recognizing he's going to go to the cross to die. The very last thing that is said in the discussion of the Lord's Supper is, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? This is a sign that these guys missed it. Here come the troops. What does Peter do? Slices off a man's ear. Jesus puts that ear back on. By the way, I want that kind of health insurance. Hey, Amen. right? I'm sick. You're healed. <laughs> but did Peter understand all things? Mm matter of fact, he made statements that required Jesus to rebuke him as the spirit of Satan. He's trying to educate. He's trying to teach. Notice, everything that we looked at in John 15, 1, I showed you things that Jesus had already said. He's revealing new truth now, and that's why I've moved forward in Scripture to show now the healthy, growing relationship between a believer and his Savior. So let's go back now. John chapter 15, we're here in verse number 2. There is a statement that is made, and it's a statement of generality, okay? It is an example. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, stop for a moment here. This is significant. In farming culture, the branch that is not bearing fruit, when it is taken away, it is not taken away and then thrown on the ground, The only branch that is taken away and thrown on the ground is the branch that is diseased that it it won't grow. And therefore it's withered and then we see from later in the passage it's gathered up to be burned. It has no value. It's profitless. The one that is taken away is for a time attached directly to another part of the vine and it's actually taped around it. It's another chance to say you need special attention. So I'm going to put you here. And we're going to give you an opportunity to thrive. You get one-on-one attention from the teacher. How many of y'all remember that? You remember being that kid? That all of a sudden there's 15 kids in your class and then the lights go dim and the spotlight goes on and whoo, the teacher sees you. Oh. By the way, I want to share with you something. This has nothing to do with the message. I got a phone call the other day. At the church here. A lady has called because she saw, she's looking for some Bible teaching, she saw me on YouTube. She saw my name. And she called in and she asked, is this the same Jesse Martinez that was a third grader at Morgan Woods Elementary? (laughs) This is that teacher I told you about. The one who has on the top of her board attitude determines altitude. I looked at my phone, the screen, and I saw... Deborah Hamlin. And I was like. And I told her, I remember you ran a tight ship, Miss Hamlin. I, rem- I have told my people how I thought you may have been a spy. Because you ran it tight. <laughs> it was so amazing to hear her talk about the simplicity that she has achieved by hearing some clear truth. I have not seen her in so many years, and I must confess, it is a miracle to be able to look at me now and think, oh yeah, that's third grade Jesse, (laughs) I don't know how that happened, (laughs) but man, it was crazy, and I said, I can't wait to tell my people that, anyway, I wanted to tell you that, because we were talking about that attitude determines altitude, and I think she's planning on coming, she lives in St. Pete though so she may be here. What a, wouldn't that be something? I called my uncle and I said, you will not believe what happened. I told him, he said, you're right, I don't believe it. <laughs> Look in John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So the The role of the husbandmen here, as Jesus is illustrating, is he is going to prune the branches that are fruitful. He's going to cut them back so they grow back stronger. That's the reason why that's done. And the ones who do not bear fruit, they're taken away. They get special attention. Look at verse 3. We'll read it here and then I have some statements and we'll look at scripture. Now, now, he says, now, right now, my disciple, uh, excuse me, "these, these apostles that I have chosen, now, ye are what? Clean through what? The word which I have spoken unto you. Listen to this statement here. Believers are already clean in Jesus' illustration of the vine and the husbandman. Hence the point of this passage is for the believer's spiritual growth and instruction for how they can bear fruit. The absence of fruit or the presence of difficulties in the life of a believer do not determine the validity of one's salvation. They're already clean. You know why Jesus puts this here? I believe he puts this here because he knows thousands of years later, men will twist this passage. And boy, it's been twisted. He made a statement, but is clean every whit in John 13, 10. Would you join me there for a moment, please? John 13, 10. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed, needeth not save to wash his feet. But is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Now, but not all. He is saying, of these twelve, there is one of you. Look up here, please. Who is not fully clean. What is he cleaning? He's cleaning their feet. He's saying, you're already clean. Save your feet. But there's one of you who's not at all. Who was that? Judas. This is another prime example that you can be a follower, but not a believer. But what does he mean here? He that washed needeth not save to wash his feet. What he means by here is those who have already believed, they don't need a full bath. That's what that word wash there, if you look at little, little r, it means a full bath. And this was very common in Jewish practice before they would go to the temple they'd have these little baths, I can't pronounce the name I think it's Mitzka or something like that but they would bathe their entire bodies so that as they walked up to the temple they were fully clean but when you walk on dirt your feet get dirty so what is this talking about then? it's not saying you need a whole bath again you need forgiveness or cleaning for your feet this is talking about the familial forgiveness of our salvation it's not talking about whether you're actually clean or not But the fullness of your cleaning comes through, not forensic forgiveness, which is the justification of the believer when they trust on Jesus Christ, but the day-to-day cleansing that we need because our feet get dirty. Raise your hand if you have sinned today. We all have. Look in 1 John 1.9. You can let John 13.10 go. This is where 1 John 1.9 comes into play. I've run into a lot of heat, and I'm talking solar heat on the internet for things like this. But that's okay. I tell Trent all the time, that's all right. We just pray for people, and we keep telling the truth. People need the truth. 1 John 1.9 is talking about the familiar forgiveness, which was illustrated in Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He says, if we confess our sins, we know this can't be talking about salvation, Because salvation was only to those who what? Believe. They don't have to confess anything. Jesus already knows all the sin and has made a payment for it. The problem is the payment has not been put to their account. Excuse me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. This is that cleansing of the feet. You don't need a full bath. You don't need to be justified again. But you need to be brought into a right fellowship with the Lord. Please look up here. So that you can abide in him. That's the focus. And to cleanse us from how much of our unrighteousness? All of it. You can go back to John 15, 3. When I was coming back yesterday, very tired, the worst part of that drive, I'll be honest with you, the worst part of that drive is the drive after you leave Warner Robbins. Just that long stretch through Georgia that's just blech, the road annoys me, the color of the road annoys me. I don't know why, it's just that murky gray. And I love the color blue and orange, as you can see, but not when it's a Georgia state trooper, which I always thought was weird. Why did they pick those colors to represent the enforcement of law? Because they know where the power is, right? It's in the University of Florida, baby. Now don't look at the score yesterday, that doesn't matter. They know the truth. But as I was coming back, we stopped to get gas at a Love's gas station. And I'm pumping gas, and I see this gigantic truck with a huge trailer behind it. And it said on the side of his truck, Jesus said, repent. And on the... Guys, that trailer was so big, it had a giant red cross leaned up against it. And he had... It was like one of those billboards, you know? And he had all these things, and it said turn from sin, give your life, all these different things. And this guy's hanging his arm out the window. And I just thought, if he just understands simply what the gospel says, maybe he'd change his truck to say Jesus said believe. Yes, he said repent. But in every context he said that, he said because the kingdom of heaven is at hand so I'm pumping gas you know I'm working on trying not to get irritated by these things but actually how can I help them get to the solution so I'm pumping gas I go inside get something come outside I get a little track out of my little track holder and I start the trek over to this guy And I walk over to him and I I'm looking at him right I don't put my hand on his truck because you know personal space I want favorable attention He's very annoyed. He looked at me and said, what? And I thought, I thought, for somebody that has spent all this time and money on trying to get people to heaven, that's really not a good way to start your conversation. So I decided to say one thing to him. I opened up the tract. I opened it up to where it says number 10 is the only right answer. And I, I, I might not have been as tactful as I would have liked, but I held it like this. <laughs> right up to him, and I pointed, and I said, Jesus also said the word believe almost a hundred times. Way more than he said repent. And I gave him the track, and this was the face I got. (laughs) Shock. It was shock. What's my point in that? There are people that know what Jesus says, but they don't understand it. And I, I really, I prayed for that guy for a majority of the trip home. I prayed that he would be so impressed by someone brazenly walking up to his truck and telling him about the very thing that he says here. Not someone cussing him out or telling him, you should let people believe what they want to believe because that's probably what he gets a lot of. Probably emboldens him to do what he does. But maybe he'll look at it and say, man, the scripture does say Believe. Jesus does say believe, and maybe he'll change his truck. I don't know, but I hope so. We need to pray for people that are so willing to follow the Lord, but they're not clean. They're not clean. Why were they not clean? Because they didn't have a big enough red cross? Because their truck wasn't polished enough? No, 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 because they haven't believed on Jesus Christ. Look in verse 4 now. We've talked about Jesus being the vine, God the cultivator, the husbandman. What happens with with the branches? Verse 4. Here is the... This is a conditional statement with an imperative command. What does it mean by conditional? It means that there is a condition that you and I must meet in order for the result to happen. Jesus has already fulfilled his obligation. It is now our job to fulfill our part. Not to be justified... But to be sanctified throughout this life. To be able to produce fruit. Look what it says here. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch. Please mark this. Cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine. No more can ye. Except ye abide in me. They're already clean. Look at verse 3. Now you are clean. But. Do you abide? And he's saying, the only way that you abide is by staying with me and I in you. This is why John, when he writes in 1 John, he says, we stay close to him. He stays close to us. It's, I don't want you to think too deeply about this. It is literally following the one who's holding the light. I told you that I did some night disc golfing. All I had was my watch. I left my phone at home for some silly reason. I don't know. But all I had was this faint little light to look down and say, this is a stump, this is a hole, this is a pile of leaves, use caution. You know, It would have been nice if I was able to stick next to a friend of mine who had a giant flashlight. That's where the light was. And I actually said it while we were playing the round. I thought, man, there's no better illustration of First John than what we're going through right now. Everybody who had the light, I was clamoring over to get to them because I wanted to be able to see where I was going lest I'd have injury it's the same thing they did not leave me I'm the one who walked away from them this is the same illustration with Jesus he does not leave you but you can walk away from him and the way you stay close to him is not by being a person who prays a lot he's not by being a person who just goes to church for the sake of going to church You've got to love the Lord, and those things will follow. But that's the motivation. If you only win souls because you want to be the person that does the best at soul winning, you will burn out. I'm telling you right now. There are people who no longer soul win, who were great soul winners. Why? They did not abide in the Lord. Now, some would hear that and be shocked and say, oh, he's, he's not focusing on soul winning. Yes, I am. But I want you to do it your whole life, not for six months. What profit is that? What profit is that? Yes, God uses that believer to bring people under the sounds of righteousness. There's a man sitting back there, Dr. Arnold. You know why he still does what he does? He loves the Lord. He's not getting up going, come on, Yankee, you got to do it. You got to dig, deep, dig, dig, deep. You got to find it. That's not... That's not how he does it. He looks at that blood-stained cross. He looks at the price. And then when he goes and soul wins with people, folks, I've seen it. I've seen it while he had it. He had a neck brace like this, walking around a doctor's office when he had his neck surgery. And he could still, with a smile on his face, with joy in his voice, share the gospel with people. That's not the product of his own volition that's the Lord working through him and aren't you thankful for a man like that I want to produce people like that I don't want the people who just come around hang around and then they go and there always is something wrong with this ministry you notice that too Oh, this person said this or this person said that whatever it may be and that's why I left no you left because you first left the Savior that's what happened you didn't love the Lord you loved the performance You loved the work. Did you forget how that work came about? Hello? Who's the vine? You? Me? Mm Mm-mm. Listen to this statement here. This statement from Jesus is conditional with an imperative command. He is saying that if a believer remains close to him in intimate fellowship, and we'll get to that in a moment, then he will remain close to that believer. People say, well, this means, you know, he'll leave you and then that means they're forsaken and they have to get saved again. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. The command is that one benefits the believer's spiritual maturity and fruit bearing by staying close, abiding in him. Look at verse five. I am the vine, he reminds them again. Ye are the branches. Now, what do we know about branches? Verse two, look at verse two. Every branch that is in me That beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So we have have some things we've learned about the branches here. Number one, the branches are connected to the vine. And number two, there are branches that bear no fruit or much fruit. Doesn't say they're not branches if they don't bear enough fruit. But there are some who will have more and some who will have less. What's the difference God picked the favorable branch and made them grow. Mm -mm. That branch stayed close and connected to the vine. Look what it says in verse five. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same, that same one that abides in me and I in him, bringeth forth. We have now a upgrade from verse two, which said more fruit to now it says, bringeth forth much fruit. Remember folks, This is a farming illustration, which is the way to life. It's not a way of life. It is the way that you live in their time. Ain't no processed foods back in that day. You have a farm. You want much fruit, as much as you can get to provide for your family and your community. And the tree that is not bearing fruit, it is a threat to life that it does not bear fruit. Needs attention. That's why it's taken away. Given a chance to grow. But look at the reminder. In verse 5. For without me. Who is that? I know it's simple. But tell me. Who is it? That's Jesus. What did he give himself the title of in this illustration? The vine. This is the reminder. Without me. Ye can Do what? Nothing. This is what I think needs to be corrected for you to see spiritual success. You don't need more Bibles. You don't need more classes. You don't need more podcasts and shows. And you don't need big conferences either. You need Jesus Christ. I need Jesus Christ every day. There's not a day where I get upgraded to, okay, now you may roam about the cabin in darkness. We, we, we know. We got, we got you. I need him every single day. And I'm so glad to know that he's always there. And in the times of my life where I stumble into darkness for a prolonged period of time, the only reason why I have panic and fear is because I walked away. But I know where the light is. That's why First John nine 1-9 is, is so important. I can get right back into that fellowship as I should. But folks, you ever stumbled around the darkness? You can get hurt really badly. Look at verse 6. Now here's the opposite side. If a man abide, remember that Greek word meno, remain, abide not in me, he is cast forth, this next word is very important, as a branch. Why is it cast now instead of taketh away? Remember in verse 2 it was taken away? This is the branch taken away, given special opportunity, but did not produce. So it is taken away as a branch. And what he's saying here is this is the illustration. And is withered. When you see a stick that is diseased, there's no profit to it. You don't want to put food on it. You don't want to use it as a walking stick. It's, It's useless and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned the illustration of fire here is a reminder that at the judgment seat of christ there will be many of of those believers who will have more withered dead branches wood hay and stubble that will not survive through the fire at the judgment seat of christ remember verse three you are clean. It's already a statement of record that they are saved. But they can become profitless. Do you want to know a better word for that? Our our society hates this word. Worthless. I don't like Christian music that says I'm worthy. I'm worthy. I'm not worthy of anything but death. But I'm valuable to God as I stay close to the Savior. As I stay close to the Savior, my value increases. I bear more fruit. God is glorified. But the opposite of that is you don't bear any fruit. You're you're worthless to God. And there's going to be a day where we stand before Jesus and give an account and we'll have very little. There's a couple of songs that I learned from Dr. Arnold. Wasted Years. Oh, how foolish. As you walk on in darkness and fear. Men are calling. People need to hear. But you're living a, a, a life of wasted years. Another one is, I wish I had given him more. I wish I had given him more. All believers. But different classes. And what's the thing that sticks? Do you abide? Let me read this to you. Bearing fruit is the result of Jesus working through the obedient believer. It is not the result of the believer's effort. Jesus is the reason we are clean and accepted by God. He is the only way we can please God with our life. He produces the fruit. The believer abides in him. Now many people would think, well, that, that means I don't have to do any work at all. No, no, you're still instructed to be obedient But the motivation for your going to church, the motivation for your loving your spouse, the motivation for you raising your children in a God-honoring way, the motivation for you sharing the gospel, the motivation for you intercessory prayer for other people, the motivation for all of that should be out of love for the Savior. That's how you will stick around. And we want to see Calvary be lit on fire and bring more people the very first thing we can do, the very first thing we can do as people is to look at the ones that are in our communities, the doors that we have not knocked on, and say, if I love them enough, I'll give them an opportunity to come to church with me. If we made that a goal this week, to hit every door in our neighborhood, and not, you know, blast them with religious truth, but really lovingly say, I'd love for you to come join me at church on the 19th. We're having a Thanksgiving feast. I bet you if we tried that once a week, we just check in on people. We'll get at least somebody to come. This is not a spiritual hangout. We're not here to high-five and say, oh, you know, everything's great. There's work to be done. And if the work's not getting done, the question is, are we abiding in the Lord? That's a question I can't answer. Only you can answer that. I want the growth. I want this to be a more fruit, much fruit. But the internet's not the only place that we reach people, folks. There's a community right over there. So one of the reasons why we do ESL. We do ESL to bring more people under the sounds of the truth. And we actually have a family that brings their little ones to Awana because of ESL. That's good. I like that. But the church withers and dies when we stop... Loving the Lord. Because you're not going to love the lost that way. You're not going to pray that way. The Holy Spirit guides the believer into an abiding fellowship with Jesus. Look very quickly at verse 26 in John 15. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of what? Truth. Which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Look in chapter 16. John chapter 16, in verses 13 through 14. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, has the Holy Spirit descended? You brought him here today. If you're a child of God, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Ephesians 1.13 tells us that. So the Holy Spirit's already come, so what? what does, what's the opportunity for us? He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever... He shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Look at chapter 17 and verse 17. This is Jesus' prayer of intercession. This statement here, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? Truth. Look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. Who are those alone? He's talking about the disciples there. This prayer he is expanding. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Look up here. That's you. May I say this very plainly? The Son of God prayed for you. He prayed for me and all those who would believe. How could we not love that man? How could we be so caught up with the now that we say, I'll get to serving God later? He prayed for you. I think about this often when I don't want to do what I'm supposed to do. When, as Cain was warned, sin is at the door. When the opportunity for me to do wrong is Present and available. I remember that Jesus, not, he didn't just merely say, yeah, I'm here. He prayed for me. It's a great motivation and encouragement. By the way, we've gone now all the way to the last point. Look in John 15, 6. I'm sorry, John 15, 7 through 10 here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, I just showed you John 17, 20. Do you think that Jesus was in full agreement with the will of God? Yes. So we know if this statement is true, meaning whatever we pray, it will be done as we are abiding with the Lord. Jesus was certainly abiding with the Lord. So when he said that we would be sanctified through truth, There is a 100% success rate there. It's not a, oh, there'll be one outlier. People look at verse 7 and say, oh, see, this is is the prayer of faith. This is the prayer of prosperity. No, no, see, you're not going to ask for a Ferrari or a million dollars if you're abiding with the Lord. What does a Ferrari benefit the lost? Oh, I'm sure we could find, I'm sure we could find some way. Well, just give it to me and I'll figure it out. What does a million dollars profit you? Matter of fact, pastors are reminded not to do what they do for filthy lucre. Hmm. Mm. You're not going to ask for silly things like that if you're abiding in the Lord. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. So how do we get to the ones that glorify the Father? How can we be of that class of disciple? How can we be of that class of believer? You remain in him. So I've said it the whole time. Abide, abide, abide. Well, how do we do it? Look at verse 9. Oh, I'm sorry. I I forgot a very important point in verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my what? Disciples. Not my children. This is how you will be those who follow me. And that's where I'm going to tell you what it means to abide in the Lord. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm going to have Jesus say it. Because he said it so clearly. Verse 9. As the Father hath what? Loved, loved me. So have I, whose I, Jesus, loved you. Who are those believers, specifically the, the 11 that he's talking to, save the one, because he's not a believer. Here's the instruction. Continue ye in my love. And here's a condition, verse 10. If ye believers keep my Jesus commandments, ye shall abide in my love. So that's, see, people are trying to write books. They're trying to figure it out. How do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it? You obey his commands. So now, it's like a puzzle, folks. We're told to abide. Okay, how do we abide? We continue in his commandments. Okay, what are his commandments? Look at what it says. Even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. By the way, Jesus is not telling you to do something that he hasn't already done himself. Amen. He's given us what it looks like. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. Whoa, we've heard that. First John chapter 1, verse 4. These things write unto you that your joy may be full. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment. We're unlocking things, folks. We are told to abide. That's how we bear fruit. We know the fruit is not the focus. The focus is abiding. The fruit will be a natural byproduct of that. Okay, I get it. So abide in me. What what is that, Jesus? Well, you keep my commandments. Okay, I want to do that. What is the commandment? Verse 12. That ye love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus demonstrate his love? Romans 5.8. How was it demonstrated? He died for us. Verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Is it to abide in the Lord and have a grudge against a Christian? Is it to abide in the Lord and have specific pastors that we like and ones that we don't like because, well, I don't like their style and delivery? That ain't Christian, excuse me. That's not discipleship. That's not bearing fruit. That's wah wan. he said, she said. That's baby stuff. My daughter, when I tell her no, She doesn't understand everything, but she understands that I want to do something and you're telling me that I can't. She throws little fits. Babies do that. That would be a problem if she was 30 years old and still doing that. Can you imagine what kind of life it would be if babies never developed mentally like that? Folks, I know they're cute, but can I just be honest? They're little barbaric children. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Okay. They're going to do any, that flailing about, can you imagine a fully grown, strong man flailing about? They're physically restrained. You want to abide in the Lord? You want to keep his commandments? Love. Love one another. Oh, but what about, you know, avoiding adultery? Great question. How do you avoid adultery? You don't sleep with someone else's spouse. Okay, okay. How is there a motivation not to do that? You love that person. You love your neighbor. You're not going to sleep with their spouse. That sounds pretty good to me. Well, what about stealing? It says don't steal. Okay? If you love your neighbor, you're not going to take from them which is not yours. Well, what about bearing false witness? If you love your neighbor you're not going to be dishonest with them. I'm not trying to wow you with simplicity. I'm trying to show you that love is the glue for everything. What about soul winning? Well, to be a great soul winner, you certainly have to know a lot of things. You can know a lot of things and still have no profit. So how do we get motivated to love the lost? You love them as God loved them. And how did he love them? He gave his life for them. Do you realize there'll be people who spend an eternity in hell separated from God, yet he still loved them? He still gave his life for them? Verse 14, there's another classification here. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. So here's the, here's the sticking point with this statement here. If we want to be disciples, if we want to be friends of the Savior, we'll be obedient. You ever have friends that are rude and unkind to you? How does that go? Oh, it's so much better. (laughs) I know they hate my guts, but it's really one of my best friends. Uh, Something's wrong, right? Something's in the way. There needs to be reconciliation. How does the reconciliation happen? Two people look past the issue and look to one another. This is why it's so important that when there's problems in the church, there's order. I'm not just out here cracking the whip from the pulpit, you know, with nothing better to do. I'm supposed to love the Lord and in turn love you. Whether you love me back or not, I'm supposed to love you. And I don't serve God because I love you, I serve God because I love Him who died for me. I went to a little, uh, you can close your Bibles. I went to a little church on a Wednesday night there in uh, North Carolina. I had been driving by, and I was looking for a sign that said Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. You know, I didn't see a lot. That kind of broke my heart. Didn't see a lot of signs that even said Sunday night. People are pretty much only doing Sunday morning services. But I went to this little church called Mount Mitchell Baptist Church. They had a Wednesday night service, 7 o'clock. And you know me. The Eye for Doctrine, I got on that website four hours before, and I combed through it. Pretty good statement of faith, pretty good plan of salvation, but they use a lot of Billy Graham's material, so there's a lot about turning, confessing, and all of that. But I gave them the benefit of the doubt. At least they had, they had a tab on their website that said how to go to heaven, and I thought, that's good. They're, they're at least concerned about that. Well, I pulled up to the church about 6.50, and I was the first one there. This is mountain life, Okay? I had to go through winding roads and stuff, use my bright so deers don't come and hit my car. So it's not like there's going to be hundreds of people there. But I was the first one to show up, and one of the deacons who I knew from the website, that probably really creeped him out. He said, I'm Larry. I said, oh, Larry Blevins? I was like, oh, Like, yeah, man, your picture and bio is on the website, but <laughs> people forget that. It's like when you have a name tag. It's like, hey, Jesse, you're like, how do you know? <laughs> You've got a name tag. I walked in, and I was talking to Larry for a little bit. And he was like, what uh, What brings you here? He looked at my plate. I was from Florida. He knew that. I said, well, I'm a pastor of a small church there in Florida, and we're having church tonight, and I want to be amongst people that want to have church. And so he welcomed me in, and I don't, I don't know how this happened, but it's a very small church, very, much smaller than this. They had many pews like this, and then they had a row facing this way, and the pastor was going to speak down here. And I'm the only one sitting on the right side. <laughs> As people kept coming in, there was tons of stuff on the left side of the, of, of the auditorium. Like, you know, Bibles and purses and bags and little kid activity stuff. So, you know, there were families that were coming in. And slowly the church started filling up. 7 o'clock comes by, there's no pastor. 7.05 comes by, there's no pastor. I'm already talking to people. You know me, social butterfly. I'm talking the whole time. Sharing, you know, all these things with people. And one of the guys, it's 7.10. One of the guys who got in and didn't hear me jaw jacking away thought I was the guest speaker. And so he said, are you the pastor for, uh, that's here tonight? And I thought, yes, I am. But I'm, the, I'm just visiting, right? So I said, yeah. And he said, whenever you're ready. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's go. This is great. I'm, I kid you not, I was praying for that. And I said, well, you know, we got to be instant in season and out of season. Well, let me, you know, lower the expectation. The pastor walked in. Okay, the real guy walked in. I was so ready. I was like, this is what I prayed for. I was like, can you imagine if they had no pastor and they just needed somebody and I could just give the gospel? That'd be great. Well, the pastor walks in. And you know what he preached on? Be instant in season and out of season. He's a bivocational pastor. Please pray for him. His name is Pastor Westwall. And we talked for a little bit. There were some things that he did very well. There were some things he misdefined a few words and all that. He made some other statements that I thought were questionable. But as I walked up to him afterwards, I, I thanked him for his willingness to have church on a Wednesday night. I thought that was a good way to give positive instruction. And then the only criticism I gave was, I think it's good to give the gospel all the time. Because even if everybody in your church is already saved, it's a reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. And we had a conversation. I gave him a gospel tract. I think he understands the gospel. I shared it with him, and he agreed with everything. But you know how it is. You're coming in there to his church, and there can be some defenses that come up. So I'm not trying to untwist him on everything, but I started a friendship there. I said, is there any way that I can pray for you? And he did mention, you know, that church has been there since the 1800s. It's a long time. I want the gospel to flourish there as much as it flourishes in any other place. But I was driving out, driving back to the cabin, and I was just overcome by the wonderful opportunity that no matter where I was, no matter where I would be, I could still give the gospel in any circumstance or situation, any opportunity. It would not, the world may say that's inappropriate, but it's never going to be inappropriate for my Savior. But if I move away from that, if I'm saying, I'm on vacation, I'm not going to do any work, why do I call this work? This isn't work. You're not here as an obligation today. You're working out who you are. When you pray for people, oh man, I was so busy today. I prayed for so many people. You're bearing fruit, folks. You're connected to the vine. I think we need to change our mind on how we serve the Lord. And not do it to check a bunch of boxes. You know, if you go out Friday night soul winning and nobody trusts Christ, but all those people heard the gospel, is that somehow an unsuccessful night? People heard the gospel, amen? Seeds are planted. There'd be some that would say, oh, well," You know, they'd they'd hang their heads. That's someone who's going to burn out. Because they're looking at results to try and justify the work. You want to see a result? You want to see a reason? The tomb is empty. And he's coming back. Amen? Let me illustrate to you this plan of salvation that means so much. The reason why we do what we do. This hand to represent you and me. This wood block of sin to represent exactly what it is. Sin. Put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us very much, but he hates our sin, and it separates us from him. In order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like God. And I mean perfect in the very sense, without any sin, and we all fall short because we have sin. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. It's very important to recognize here that there is no amount of work that we could do to pay for this sin. Because sin is not paid by good works. Somebody's got to die. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the one who loved the Father and loved us. He went to that cross 2,000 years ago, and he took that sin that separated us from God, and he paid for all of it, past, present, and future. And he cried out on that cross, it is finished, and he gave up his life. He was buried, he rose again three days later, To prove that he was who he claimed to be. And we can see in John 3.16 when Jesus is talking with timid, shy, unknowledgeable Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's salvation. You believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you receive eternal life now for the sake of what we talked about this morning here we are this has been paid for if you want to have a lasting fellowship an intimate walk with the lord you'll keep his commandments which is to love one another what ends up happening is we love this and we live with this And that causes a problem between us and God. Some of us will have to be pruned. And then that will get our attention. We start walking as we should walk. Some of us, we love this too much. We wither away. And we're worthless to God at that point. I don't want that for you. You stay close to the Savior as you love one another. As you love him. You're signed, sealed, and delivered, folks. We're going to be in heaven one day. But what a wonderful opportunity we have now to serve the Savior. And the gas that you put in that tank is love. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Heads are bowed, nicer are closed. Nobody's looking around. We're about to have a great time of fellowship in the back. I do invite you to come and join us. But if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I... before you started teaching this morning i had no idea of where i was going to go when i died i thought maybe i had to be good enough or i was doing enough or because i was born into a certain family religion that god would use that as credit toward my salvation but i recognize now that jesus paid for all my sin because i could not do it myself and i'm putting my trust in him i believe that his death burial and resurrection has paid for all of my sin If that's you today and it made sense for the first time in your life and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, I would like to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but this is not to call you out. I'm not going to have anybody walk the aisle. I'm simply seeking to pray for you. If you trusted Christ today for the first time, I'd like to pray. Would you raise your hand and let me know? Anyone before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. If it's true that I'm speaking with believers today, may I ask you one question? Do you love the Lord? If the answer is no, would you talk to him today? Would you confess that? He's faithful and just to forgive you of that. If the answer is yes, I'm praying that you will continue in his love. You want to be a great soul winner? You want to be a person of prayer? You want to be a blessing to those around you? Love the Lord. You'll reach people if you love them as God loves them. You'll read your Bible if you love the Lord. And for those of you who say, I can do better. I thank you for your honesty. I want you to know that I can do better, too. We have a good, good God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray that we have a great time of fellowship and encouragement in the back. Pray, Lord, too, for our services tonight. As we look at Lot's error, and we also have a wanna in the back. We pray for all the things that are being done this week, namely that trunk retreat that's happening on Tuesday night. I pray many people will come under the sounds of the gospel. Lord, we pray for your soon return. We pray for Israel, the suffering and bloodshed that's happening in that country. We pray that they would look to you as their Messiah. We ask all these things in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus Christ.